0: Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. In this episode, I interview wellness influencer and trainer, Karen Miner Hurd. Karen is a 30-year network marketing professional and homeschooling mom of five, now adult children. Through her woman-wise business, she teaches and trains women how to live healthier, younger, and with better immune and brain health. She's passionate about helping her business partners create additional income, using social media in a way that maximizes their skills and flexibility in a dynamic world. Karen has coached entrepreneurs on customer relations, social media, and branding. She and her husband, Dale, live in rural Suffolk, Virginia. I think I pronounced that correctly, with the youngest of their five children and Charlie, their border collie. Karen was diagnosed with ADHD about 20 years ago, and she is an absolute font of information, especially when it comes to gut health and hormones. So you're probably going to want to pause this right now and get a pen and paper to take notes for this episode. I hope you learn a lot, just like I did. Enjoy. Hello, Karen. Hey, Katie. How are you? It's great to hear your voice. Yeah, good to meet you. Um, so let's just go ahead and get started. Why don't Great. you tell me um, about sort of how you first suspected that you had ADHD, how old you were when you received your diagnosis, and kind of what, what led up to getting that diagnosis?
1: Hmm. I was always different as a child. Um, and like a lot of ADHD-ers, I'm bright. And so when you stick out like a sore thumb anyway, and in part because you're bright and you're bored all the time and, um, you know, you get a lot of comments like does good work when she puts her mind to it, Uh, talks too much, too eager to participate, those kinds of things. Sometimes you just write it off as being a weirdo. And so you just find ways, I guess, to cope with that. And it probably wasn't until I had children that I started to see that that ADHD uh, applied to me. Uh, back in the day, uh, first off, girls didn't have it, like ever. And um, I had a cousin who was off the walls, and they diagnosed him. The, time at, the word at that time was called hyperkinetic. And um, and I think he had something else beyond that because it wasn't just straight ADHD for the way we understand it now. We know that there's five subsets and all this thing. But as you know, back in the in the day, it was a made up thing from people who just really couldn't control themselves. Right. And um, and it was when I was looking for answers to why my kids uh, were a little bit different. Now I was cool with them being different. I was different. My husband was different. Now we have words for that, like not neurotypical, and I, I don't like, i don't think I like that word. But anyway, um, as I started to look for reasons why my children seemed to be hard to raise, I came across the book, uh, the the solving the puzzle of your hard to raise child. I went, well, that sounds like a plan, and it was by Dr. William Crook, and this was back in the '90s, and he started talking about gut health and the implications for gut health and brain function. And because I was also a home educator, um, looking into learning styles, so it was all these different pieces that came in. And I was going, well, I'm always done like that. I've always been like that. I've always been like that. And it wasn't, um, I got into, I have a, I'm a wellness uh, advisor and educator. And I started doing that in, I uh, really feel like the Lord led that, led me into that in the mid-90s. And then they started talking about ADHD and gut health. Back in the mid-90s, I mean, that was considered fringe back then. Now it's like, well, duh. But back then, it was fringe. It was like, how weird could you get? Um, And I started learning the connections. And I thought, I wonder if I'm ADHD. But when I hit perimenopause, that's when it went off the rails. And, um, And that's when a lot of women in my generation... Got diagnosed was in their mid-40s because every single cell on a woman's body has an estrogen receptor. And as the estrogen uh, levels, you've got 12 of them, uh, start to adjust for post-childbearing years, if you don't have especially natural things to bridge those gaps, your brain starts screaming, where are you, to the estrogen <laughs> <laughs> and that takes all the ADHD behaviors, especially in my case, I lost my sense of direction. I used to be able to drop me in a jungle. I'd know where to go. I didn't know where I was anymore. So, especially with all the talk about Alzheimer's and dementia, I began to get very worried that I was, despite everything I was doing to protect my brain health, into early onset <laughs> Alzheimer's. And it turned out, fortunately, just to be ADHD.
0: Interesting. Um, so you so you were diagnosed at the age of forty four, right? Forty four, forty five ish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense because I, you know, I I received my diagnosis recently, and I'm forty five, okay. and and so that you know falls in line exactly with what you're talking about with perimenopause and estrogen, and I certainly feel like my short term memory has taken a hit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it and it does, and it, and it really makes you uh, for for women that are not ADHD and don't have different brain function issues um perimenopause this is why back again back in the day they would give women valium and anxiety meds because every woman to differ, to varying degrees is affected in her brain function and how that ex- gets expressed during perimenopause because the body's going through a transition and especially in, on western diets and so forth um, we do not have the natural bridges uh, soy is an extremely good protector for women. It's gotten a lot of bad press. We could, that's a whole nother sidebar topic. But for example, in, 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 um, uh, parts of the world where they have like high soy intake, women don't have the hit the wall, um, with perimenopause the way Western women do, especially here in the U S and uh, you know, so I think a lot of women experience that, um, you know, that why do I not feel like me? Why am I so moody? Why does everybody in my line of vision have to get killed today? That kind of thing. And it's because um, her brain is is trying to make that transition. For ADHD women and other women with with probably Asperger's and other kinds of things, that transition is exacerbated.
0: Okay. So so just one more time, why is soy great? Is, Is it the estrogen production? Why...
1: The um, Yeah, let's just, if we could, because I think that just probably created like 1,400 questions for people. But I've heard. First off, soy was considered a superfood for a long, long time. And a lot of women uh, used it to naturally manage transitions. And um, it's very protective for women. In fact, re- several recent studies have shown that even in estrogen-dependent breast cancer, uh, up to, I think it was like 25% of women using soy with estrogen-dependent breast cancer had a less reoccurrence than women who did not. And that's because plant phytoestrogens, which means from plant, is not as strong as the ones you make in your own body and certainly far less stronger than the ones that they give you in birth control pills or the ones that can be, have estrogenic effects from conventional cleaning products. They're not the same. But you, most physicians, in fact, I would say almost all physicians, are not trained in nutrition. They are not trained in those nuances. And in the medical care system we have, or the health, sick care system we have, they don't have the time to go learn that kind of thing. They've got what, five minutes with you? And then they're out the door. So it's mm-hmm. just easier for a lot of physicians to go, oh, it's all the same. Don't use any. No, that's not true. And in fact, they're learning that uh, when, when, um, a plant-based estrogen called a phytoestrogen, which again is weaker than your own, but it can attach to an estrogen receptor to basically say to the body, you know what, you're fine. You're good here. I got what I need. Thanks. If you, uh, and you have to be eating like incredible amounts of plant-based estrogens. I mean like the kind they would use in a rat study. Um, to, but if you if you do get quote too much, whatever level that might be, your body can break it down because it's a plant. No big deal and you just excrete it. It's not a big deal. They don't build up in the body. They allow the body to be protective um, without getting into excess. So the, I asked, um, one of the people I trained under was a cancer researcher who also happened to teach biochemistry and nutrition to med school students. And um, I asked him, I said, why are we seeing all this? He goes, oh, well, the initial study that suggested that soy could be damaging to women was done in mice specifically bred without ovaries or immune systems. So he said, if you're a postmenopausal woman with AIDS exceeding eating excessive amounts of soy, you might want to be concerned. I mean, most people don't know that the uh, lab animals they used were specifically bred without
0: the parts you would have. Does that make sense? Well, even medical trials and and. Um, you know, most new medicine out there is only tested on men because they are so concerned about women's um, hormonal balance and and doing something to their womb or you know like i I find, I find most people don't realize how many medications out there that are prescribed to both men and women were only ever tested on men right, and then, and then like
1: like they do with um we won't open this can of worms but it's a good can of worms, vaccines. Um, it's mm-hmm. not until they're into the general population that they really see what they can do or not do. Right. It's like, well, yes. that seems stupid because the risks are not minor. The risks are not minor in some of this stuff. And here's the other thing. Most people don't know. 10% of animal studies translate into human health. Maybe 1%, maybe of test tube studies translate into human health. But if you're reading the news media, um, uh, Study shows, da-da-da-da. Well, in, in medical studies and scientific studies in general, I tell people it's like watching your parents or listening to your parents. You know, you're a little child at night, listening to your parents talk, and you're hearing through the bedroom wall, right? Well, we're going to go on vacation. And mom says Disneyland, and dad says camping. And the mom goes, what about the beach? And dad says, I don't know. Why don't we do this? And, and you're going back and forth going, we're going to Disneyland. No, the beach. Oh, camping. And, you're, and that's what a scientific discussion is like. The studies are set up to literally contradict each other until they get to the place over time, sometimes decades, that the studies no longer contradict. And they can say, we think we have a consensus here. That is a long process. But in a 24-7, 365 news cycle, we don't have, the, we don't have that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And most people don't understand that when they say study shows blank, it was done in a test tube. Well, the odds of that translating into your human health are almost zero. All that test tube study is saying, "Hmm, we might have something here. Let's do more test tube studies before we start involving animals. And let's do more animal studies until we bring it to a human level. In the meantime, we're having this huge conversation in social media about blogosphere and all that kind of stuff. And basically, sometimes creating myths about health And I know you work in wellness too, so you've seen this as
0: well. So now I'm I'm fascinated by how how well you retain medical facts and information because it's something I struggle with no matter how many times I read something when it comes to actually uh, reciting it. I just, I feel like I have a blank. So I want to ask you about your, um, relationship with education when you were younger. And, and I also know that you homeschooled your children when they were younger. So what led you to making that choice? Where are those two related?
1: Hmm. My husband is a journalist and he was doing a story on homeschooling families. And he goes, I think I want us to do this. And I'm like, Oh, because like a lot of women, I thought, Hey, I'll get my time back. Right. And not realizing that it was an ADHD mom who just tried so hard to be organized um, with ADHD children who, like, never followed the chore chart, right, Um, that there was always a level of circus to our house. Mm -hmm. And the idea of homeschooling at the time was like, are you kidding? I need my break. Just like I think a lot of women do but it turned out to be the right decision although that's a whole story we went back and forth we'd homeschool for a few years and then the circus aspects of everything and trying to keep all of my children without exception either have a learning disability they're all brilliant but they all have a learning disability so there's all I didn't have the kids like here's your work let's get it done it was always a series of games if you will mm-hmm. um my education was, and it wasn't until I got my ADHD test that I actually got my IQ score because that's, as you know, one of the things when they test for you, they look for your, uh, I'm just going to use the word native intelligence, and how does that compare to the, uh, what, you can, what, your, what your output is? And the gap between the two is, is partially how they diagnose And that, and I think for a lot of us who are ADHD, we are much, much smarter than our output would look like, right? Mm -hmm. We actually retain a lot of information. We don't always know how to get it out of our brain. Sometimes we don't know how to get it into our brain. Um, But a lot of us are far smarter than we often give ourselves credit for. So homeschooling my kids, like I said, uh, it's been said, uh, Lee Borton, who is the founder of Classical Conversations, once said, homeschooling redeems the education of two generations. And it really does. As you're homeschooling, you learn more about yourself. You relearn a lot of the facts you never really got the first time when you were Mm -hmm. learning. And in learning to work with your kids, you oftentimes learn how to work with yourself better.
0: Oh, I love that. Absolutely. I mean, just in my my kids are not homeschooled, but I have a son who is in 4th grade and so just remote learning and how involved I've been in his education since March with the pandemic like I I've learned so much more about how he works and also about how I work and what motivates, you know, what are motivating factors and and what are workarounds and it's been it's been super eye-opening and a, of course, I'm convinced he has ADHD as well. Right, but I think it's been you know it's been great because I I'm able to help him with things that I remember so viscerally from my own childhood not getting the help that I needed, and so it has. There's been like a, a, such a feeling of redemption in now turning around and being almost feeling like I'm kind of redoing my own childhood through this new lens. Really, you are, and and I yeah. think we can also
1: see too the absolute failures of conventional education, not only for children who learn differently, which would probably be most kids, a conventional education is really set up for that auditory learner who can sit still. Well, that would be most children cannot be that. And most boys are not that, right? I had a son, we had a trampoline in the back and he has a photographic memory we later discovered We didn't know that at the time. Like, why aren't you reviewing your work? Because I know it. Like, what? No, nobody knows it that quick. Well, he did. (laughs) So some of my other kids. They didn't have to review. And they didn't have to do a lot of the typical things to learn. But in his case, we would do like math facts. And then he'd go out to the trampoline because he would just be driving me crazy. I'm like, go outside. And he'd run circles. He wouldn't jump on the tramp. He'd literally run circles around the tramp, come back in and do his math work. Adding that very kinesthetic movement is how his brain took the information, crossed the midline of the brain from the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere. Well, I had heard of one teacher back. Teachers don't have as much control in their classrooms as they used to. And what she would do is she would bring in an exercise bike. And all the kids that couldn't sit still during reading, there was one in particular, she'd put that child on the exercise bike. And so long as that child was biking, that child could be fully attentive.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think conventional education also takes issues and makes them worse because they're set up to process kids through a system. Most kids and most parents aren't designed that way. In fact, I don't think most teachers are designed that way.
0: Well, I I find that a lot of people don't understand that stimulation is essential to focus with children with ADHD, yeah. you know, that it's not a matter of remove all stimulation, and then they will focus, you know, it's, it's finding that balance between what is what is productive stimulation, and what is simply distracting. And right. I think a lot of teachers are just don't get the how essential it is to have squeezy balls, or fidget cubes, or yoga balls, or, you know, all of these ways in which children need to be like, you know, m- have multiple stimulants in order to be able to focus on one task.
1: Right. And especially, again, for boys. I'm a, you're, you're a mom of a boy. How many
0: boys do you have? I have one boy and one girl. So my boy is nine.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I had three boys. So did your boy intu- intuitively just learn differently than your daughter? Oh, absolutely. From yeah. Day and, one. And we see so many kids, and this is probably something on every ADHD mom or parent of an ADHD child probably goes through the moon on, is how quickly, or just if you're just a mom of a boy, they have different energy levels. They tend to read later in life, and they just do. Why? Because the myelin sheath, which is what coats your your nerves, it's like the cuticle on your nail, the myelin sheath coats your nerves. And when that sheath is developed, that's a lot of times when you can learn to read. It's just a mm. physiological thing. It's just a body time clock thing. And it happens later in boys than girls. So by the time we want all boys to read by age five or six, they might not be physiologically ready to learn by five or six. Maybe eight or nine or ten. But now we've got them in reading groups. Now we've told them all kinds of nasty things. You know, we've got, given them labels. And it really was about child development. That was the advantage of homeschooling, by the way. Um, because I knew that, I did lots and lots and lots of read aloud to my boys and my one boy did not learn to read till he was 8 or 9 maybe closer to 9 and by the time he was 11 he was reading college level it had nothing to do with quote being delayed it had to do with letting his body finish growing mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I found that really uh, so interesting having one of each, you know, my daughter who was so verbal at such an early age, she was practically reciting poetry when she was a year old. My son on the other hand did not speak a word, not even mama or dada until after he was 2. Mm-hmm. But he also spent a lot of time, you know, building elaborately engineered Lego structures, you right. know. And so it's fascinating to me like what we put value in in terms of milestones at those young ages. And and again going back to what you were talking about with like brightness versus, um, output and how, you know, I think that is, is why so many people with ADHD have such issues when it comes to self-esteem and Mm self-worth. And because, you know, it's, it's like, you know, in your head that you are smart, (laughs) you just can't seem to prove it. And, and that divide, that disparity is really what is causing so many of us to get misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety
1: right and they're comorbid anyway um you know, were holistic beings we are not car parts
0: mm, yeah and
1: point. um i'm in my early 60s and back in the day it was like america discovered industrialization and your body is an amazing machine no the problem with the whole body is a machine thing and you work on holistic health, so you know, is that if one part of the body is not doing well, the other parts of the body try to compensate. And they can do it can do that short term, but it's not designed for long term, which is when we get into chronic illness, is when we're trying to do these off-balance compensations long term, right? So if your brain is not functioning well, look to the gut, look to the diet, look to other things, because the brain is not a machine part all by its little own self. And, um, the, the other thing to self esteem. So it's likely that if the brain is not functioning well, anxiety, some of the depression, part of it is like what you said, self perception and so forth. But the other part is the brain is like trying to get itself to function well. And it's diverting a huge amount of energy. I think the biggest, biggest, biggest breakthrough in the diagnosis of ADHD. And in fact, Legitimizing it as not an issue of being lazy or flaky or all these other things was when they started doing brain scans. And that was, I had a computer, so it was probably in the early 2000s. And they started seeing that the executive function, that the brain function, though they could literally see the brain function in these brain scans looked different in ADD people than it did in what we would call neurotypical people. Mm -hmm. It just looked different. In fact, to your point about stimulants, the executive function, that's the front part that's the front part of your brain, think like in your forehead, was flatter. There was less electrical activity, which is why they needed the stimulant, than in people that didn't have ADHD. When those brain scans came out, People who had worked with ADHD or ADD. Now, like I said, we know there's several subsets of it, several different ways it manifests. Actually, it was legitimized. Look, here it is. People are not making this up. It's a real thing. And interestingly, in trauma, trauma, you cannot be ADHD, but if you've been traumatized, like even to the the extent of having PTSD, your brain function mimics ADD, ADHD. So some people could be diagnosed as ADD, ADHD, and really be trauma victims. Mm. The inability to remember, the uh, seemingly randomness of intrusive thoughts, um, all kinds of things can on the surface look like ADHD, but it's really trauma. And has to do again with executive brain
0: function. So then how do you really get down to what is the root cause or does it even matter?
1: Yeah, does it even matter?
0: Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey, while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled.
1: I think um, I have a child, by the time I got had my fifth baby, by this time I was a, a wellness advisor. My first four children, I was not. And so I thought, oh, oh I'm going to take so many supplements and brain health supplements. This child will not be ADD. I want to fix this kid's brain in utero. Because prenatal nutrition does matter.
0: That is such an ADHD trait, by the way, you know, that you're like, I am going to take this pregnancy to the max. I am going to win.
1: (laughs) I'm going to change this DNA. And, um,
0: and she's not ADD. She still
1: has a learning disability. Um, but she's not ADD. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but with the type of learning disability, it kind of looked the same. (laughs) Yeah. So she is uh, likely an auditory processing disability and she has, um, uh, generalized anxiety. I had massive panic attacks when I was pregnant with her, which was totally weird, but I did and I think that was hormonal. I had her when I was 42. So yeah. And that is a very ADD thing. And I think the other thing about what is cool, what I'm seeing in the ADD, ADHD community is saying, you know what, we might not be wired the way some of these other people are, but our wiring is completely unique and has its advantages.
0: Oh yeah, Absolutely.
1: And you probably know as an ADD person and as an ADHD entrepreneur that you're creative in ways that people go, where do you get these ideas? You're like, man, they
0: are like always floating around. (laughs) Let's go back and talk about, um, pharmaceuticals. Cause I know you, you dabbled in meds for a bit, but you've chosen to not be on any kind of medication. So I'm curious about your journey with that. Why is that? And sort of what alternatives are helping you optimize your health now? Sure.
1: Thank you. Um, that is a great conversation, um, because as they say, as a as a, a, a colleague of mine in my um, business said, that she passed her ADHD test with flying colors, and I thought that was a great way to say that.
0: I always, I said that, too. I was like, when I, I did a self-test, I scored so high, and I was like, I think that's the best grade I've ever gotten on a test. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome?
1: So, yes, yeah. also passed
0: with flying colors.
1: It wasn't until I hit, and I had, again, I stumbled into it Um, when I got into my, um, uh, when I partnered with my company, we had started out in educational toys, and um, started to, uh, part of it was ADHD, but as I was working with moms on some things, I would say, well, you know, the dairy allergy is probably a functioning, you know, your kid's brain health, and Uh, your child's brain function, and there's no toy I've got that's going to overcome the fact that your kid eats a ton of cheese. And so that that was your clue right there. I wanted to go to what's the root, what's the root, what's the root. And when I was led into working in wellness, which I never thought I would do, by the way, I was also never going to be in sales and I was never going to live down South and do all these things I am now doing. Like I said, I, I, I did the natural thing, and it, I stumbled into it that way because they said, uh, these will help your allergies, and I thought, take a walk, sweetheart, but now I'm in this business for different reasons, and so I'll do what you said. I mean, I was, I was about so cynical that nobody could ever say it was placebo effect because my brain thought it would be a good idea. What I discovered was not only did I come off all my allergy meds after six weeks, and after about uh, two months, the PMS went away, the joint pain went away. I started focusing better, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> um, when you when I didn't lose two weeks a month to just PMS. PMS again, there's that estrogen hormonal thing. That's why PMS especially can be worse in ADHD women, and that just takes the brain function and exacerbates any of the bad issues. Uh, but anyway, uh, and I was humming along because ADHD did not exist. Uh, When I was younger, it was a made up thing for those of us who could not control ourselves. We all learned a lot of self-management, a lot of self-management because it's all we had. So I learned how to organize the house and the kids and things like that and got some measure and I just, I think, became resigned to the fact that I didn't have any low production days. I had no production weeks where I was literally in a fog and it was just that would then overcompensate when my brain was working, right? About the time I was 45 ish, I hit perimenopause and my, I didn't, because I was um, using a lot of our soy shakes and things like that. I didn't really have the hot flashes. I didn't have the PMS. I didn't have a lot of the symptoms women had. What I did notice was I couldn't remember where I was. I was me who never needed a map or could read a map once and that was it. And I knew where I was. I couldn't, I couldn't remember how to get places, which was terrifying in the wake of, of new Alzheimer discussions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by that time, I was also starting to deal with lifelong PTSD. So now I'm in therapist's office. I've also, all these kind of, all these different streams in my life started coming together. And I thought, well, I'll go get tested for ADHD. What the heck? Why not? Well, pass the test with flying colors. Then the next question is, will you do Uh, medication. And I had been adamantly opposed to it. I had helped some clients through getting their own kids off medication and so forth. But I was at this point really not functioning well at all. And I thought, I can't be prideful. I just got to do what I got to do. So then it was hunting for the right ones. And I tried some of the non-stimulant ones like Stratera, And I said to my doctor, look, because you don't get, you can't take your money back. You can't go to the pharmacist and say, this isn't working. Can I have my money back guarantee? There is none. In fact, you get to go to the doctor again, pay for that again, (laughs) pay for the new prescription and go through the next whatever it's going to take for you to get used to it. It's really a pain in the butt. And um, he said, well, how did you like it? I said, well, I was calm because I had no thoughts. (laughs) It was like, I had like non-functioning. I had no thoughts is the only way I could describe it. So I hated it. Uh, I think it does work for some people, right? It's very individual. Uh, But for me, I hated it. And then I just did old-fashioned Ritalin, me and my six or seven cups of coffee a day and can seem to do fine. Uh, And the Ritalin seemed to help. It was that little extra I needed on top of my nutrition program I was still doing. And I did the Ritalin uh, off and on for a couple of years. And then then my company came out with some new brain health products started those and found I didn't need the Ritalin anymore. Um, and then after when I hit menopause, menopause is a cessation of menses, and that is one year, no period. So if you go nine months and you get a period, you get to click off that year all over again, starting from that ninth month mm-hmm. and you get your new year. Um, and then once I got through that, it's like I, can, I still don't have the, quite the same sense of direction I used to but I don't get lost as much anymore. So a lot of my brain functions seem to have come back.
0: Okay, and the brain health supplements, we can talk about your business as well. This will be a nice segue, but like, so the brain health supplements that you were taking or are taking, what what do those consist of?
1: It's, um, when, I, when I go with folks, we're all tempted, we've been trained by the medical f- community to if I have a problem, what's the one thing I need to do, right? I think sometimes as ADDers, we're like, what's the one thing I need to do? Wait, no, let me do these 42 things all together in this real elaborate program. I'm going to do like right now. <laughs> no, we're so impatient. I know, exactly. I want to find the solution right now. Yeah. And I'll do all <laughs> these 400 things. I can't. I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. I'll do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there it is right there, right? Yep. So I really believe in, in, in keeping it simple, but you also don't want to, you ought to do enough of the right stuff. And I think the temptation is when you're doing anything holistically, and I know that you work in wellness as well, people come to you and like, what's the one thing I have to do? You're like, well, that's the one place you can start, but uh, it's, that's why wellness wheels and these kinds of things can be helpful. Anyway, um, I always like to lay a foundation. Your body is runs on vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, and water. So let's get that straight. Cause if you don't have enough of those and you're starting to throw in a homeopathic or an herbal or whatever, you don't have the basic cell health, which those will help increase the function of. So it's kind of like saying, well, I've got a house. Um, I'd like to decorate. Yes, but furniture would be good. Why don't you put in some furniture? So you have a place to sit and eat. No, you want to go renovate and do it right. It's kind of like, yeah, that's a good thing to do, but it's in the wrong order. So lay a good foundation. That's really, really important and do one that you can do every single day. I can't tell you how many people I consult with and they're not even on a good multivitamin. There's a reason why those exist. They, they, they provide a baseline, so you gotta create your baseline. And you wanna make sure you have fatty acids and good gut health. So I always like to start there. Then if we, when we do the targeted brain supplements, they'll work far better. Otherwise, uh, some people might not need them because the issue was getting the gut health straight, and getting them on a baseline foundation and they're good to go. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so there really is not a one size fits all as much as our culture would like to have a one size fits all.
0: Well, and I think that that culture is is promoted like you said in a doctor's office where you have 15 minutes, they, you know, you're you are um, a name on paper and not much else. So really, I mean, you're you're going to these medical professionals who really don't know you from Adam and you're expected to be your own health advocate right, (laughs) and with, with little to no knowledge. I mean, you know, I think it's, I think that's where health coaching and wellness coaching really fills that gap of just listening. I mean, I think that is the number one thing that people need in terms of their health is just to feel heard. Right. And like you said, start from there. Right. And the thing with
1: medication is virtually all medication takes a toll on the body in some way. So um, like I have um, a family member with um, an autoimmune disease called lupus and uh, the medications that that person is on when when they did their supplement program, some of the supplements I had this person emphasize was to counteract some of the side effects of medication. So the other thing to know when you're doing a nutrition program is it's going to help offset the side effects of medication the other thing it's going to do is you might find you need lower dosages of that same medication, always better. So sometimes you can't get away from having the medication, but you can offset the side effects and hopefully function just as well or better on a lower dosage.
0: Let's talk about your business women wise Mm -hmm. and how that came to be and, and what you offer your clients and what you like to work with or what, what are some of the things your clients struggle with?
1: Sure. Um, I called
0: it woman-wise
1: because I wanted to say to women that there is a way, women, we multitask anyway. This is going to come as a big surprise to a lot of people, but a woman's brain is made different than a man's brain. What? Um, (laughs) They're not the same brains, and that's absolutely fine. It's, It's really good that my husband can compartmentalize sometimes. It's really good that I don't sometimes. I think it's better to appreciate the differences between a man's brain and a woman's brain rather than try to, again, say one brain is superior to the other. Why don't we all have the same brain? Because we just didn't get made that way. So for women-wise, I wanted to say there's a way for women to incorporate all the threads in her life and that we tend to work out of our natural skill sets to create something for ourselves and for our family without having to compete against our family. I think a lot of women, and This, of course, there's no universal for everybody all the time, right? But for a lot of women, uh, they have to, when they're working, especially in a corporate setting or an outside the home setting, might be, feel that they're in a position where they have to compete uh, to kind of, kind of create this work-life balance, which in many ways is a myth. There's always something that has to give. So I wanted to say with WomanWise, we have a way to do that. We have a way that uses use the natural skills you have as a woman, the natural ways you function as a woman to create a business and a lifestyle that has impact, uh, that's meaningful, and that can make you very wealthy if you want to be very wealthy. And we're partnered with a company that's a supplement company. They've been around a long time. And the reason why I chose to partner with them was not only were they very transparent about what they did, they were very objective about what they did. So they didn't breathe if they couldn't prove it with third-party studies. And one of their criteria was, if we cannot test what we're doing on people, we probably shouldn't be making it in the first place. So let's just think about that for a minute. <laughs> so back in the 60s, they didn't do animal testing when that was the thing to do. Um, and I wanted something to say to women you wear many hats, you wear many hats. And how about we have a business that can allow us to work out of whatever hat we're in at that time without a lot of stress. So the clients that come to me, I help them with a lot of different health issues. I'm in ADHD, so surprise, I work out of everything. I can't say no to anything. Um, That might be a good thing. So a lot of times with weight, because weight is the first place when people, it's a very foundational health issue, as you know, it's often the first place people start. Uh, but if weight were just a matter of um, eating and exercise, nobody would need weight loss coaches, would they? Exactly. We'd all figure that out on our own. And that's not just the idea of fake food or not knowing that a Starbucks latte with all the stuff has like 1400 calories in it or whatever. It's not about the hidden calories, there's a whole lot of issues. And when you gain weight, your body chemistry actually changes because you gained the weight, right? So work in that, yeah. work in brain health, work with immune health because of my allergies. But basically I want to say to people, the best time to start working on your health is today. Uh, no matter where you are, it's today. You start today. You can start small. You can baby step it. Um, let's build some lifelong habits. Supplementation is important. Uh, because of our food, because of the needs of our bodies are so much higher. Here's an example. We're all talking about vitamin D now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Vitamin D actually acts in your body like a hormone because it's a messenger. That's what hormones are. They're messengers. And years ago, when I got started, 100 IU, international units, that's how fats are measured, um, was considered tops. Like, yo, you do more than that. You could be over the charts. Now some doctors are prescribing 50,000 IUs a week. Why is that? Because as science expanded to understand the role of vitamin D, they had to adjust the recommendations because they realized the recommendations were too low. There's no way you can get it from your diet. There just isn't. There just isn't. For the amount of needs we have between our various health issues, our lifestyles, stress, choose through. If, especially if you're under chronic stress, you chew through nutrient levels in your body like crazy, like crazy. And we're under a lot of chronic stress, and that was before 2020. And our bodies actually don't really come down to a resting, relaxed state. They, they almost don't ever get a recovery time. Well, that increases your nutrient need. So diet's real important, but how many women do you work with in ADHD or men in ADHD that meal planning is like not our favorite thing to do?
0: I find that meal planning can definitely be problematic uh, because of the sort of desire to be perfect and get everything and check all the boxes. But I also feel like structure is essential to somebody with ADHD, structure and variety. So I understand why diets are so appealing because of all the structure they provide. And I understand that just saying to somebody, you know, be healthier is is far too obtuse and chaotic for somebody with ADHD. Right, right. And then you go online and you and 100 million other sites
1: and again uh, sites are competing for clicks so sometimes they'll put out the most outrageous ridiculous thing because that is the trending topic and they got this google ad thing going on right and so and i say a lot of times basic health is just not sexy drink your water (laughs) okay that's not sexy sorry (laughs) try to get sleep That's a whole issue for ADHD people right there. Um, Try to get your sleep because you're going to throw off your hormones. You're going to throw off the appetite hormones if you don't get your sleep. Not sexy,
0: important. Um, Well, and exercise too, I think you know, I think it's also just telling somebody to take a walk. Often people feel like, well, if I'm going to exercise, then I'm going to have to go hard and go to a gym and buy gym clothes and buy new shoes. And you're like, no, (laughs) where's the the 50 pound weights? Well, I do my, yeah, right. Mm -hmm." Exactly. Right. And then you injure yourself and then it's too, like you said, it gets too overwhelming and you quit and it's like, no, go for a walk.
1: (laughs) Right. And I think part of it, and I don't know if this is just human beings or just ADHD, but we don't tend to believe the baby step will work. And I think that's because Mm -hmm. I described, it like this our health is like a puzzle and so people will say like what's that one thing in fact in the bible uh, somebody came up to jesus and said all the laws everything you're saying agree with it dead on love it what's the one thing i gotta do <laughs> i think jesus was a little exasperated he said no you have to do it all but let me sum it up for you this way um and and it's we, we just always want that one magic bullet and people will say well what's the one thing you did that really made the difference Well, if I take out the water, your brain needs water to function. If you don't get enough water, you're already hindering cognitive function by as much as 30%. Drink your water. Coffee's not water. I know it's a bummer. I just totally shot the holy grail, the the elixir of life for every ADHD. (laughs) We mix it with water, but it's not water once we had the coffee beans. But um, So the other thing is to know that you're building out on habits. And I think this is what you work with as well we start these habits, we build them up. And over time, a lot of time, the last piece that comes into your puzzle that finishes the picture where you go, see, maybe that's the only thing I needed to do. That last piece would have not made sense in your puzzle if it was the only piece you used.
0: And I think, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves, I write about this in my book is, you know, that, um, Doctors will tell patients, you need to lose weight. And then they, that's it. You know, when you come back, I want to see that you've lost weight. They don't talk about the fact that weight is a symptom mm-hmm. of behaviors. And so people, are, you know, like you said, I don't know if it's ADHD or if it's just the way all humans are wired, but we want to lose weight as fast as possible. What's the way? What's the fastest route to getting this weight off? Because the weight is the problem. You're like, no, the weight is the symptom. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the doctors are just not talking, you know, they put such an emphasis on the scale that they don't talk about what habits got you here in the first place and what habits are going to, are going to get you out of this. So you're right. It, it's habits. It's lifestyle.
1: Those are long-term. Uh, sometimes, uh, things like the, we have, we have a program that works to balance metabolism so that people aren't coming to us every year going, I need to do the diet again. Well, no, <laughs> you know, you give yourself like a five pounds. And when you hit past the five pound mark, Because especially for women, our weight can fluctuate every single day—hormones, water, all that jazz—and so we usually say, wait till about you you about five pounds over your healthy, your best weight, your healthiest weight before you start thinking about quote losing it again because you've got too much of that variable in there. I don't know if you tell some your clients something different.
0: So, um, I just want to find out more about uh, women-wise. Where can where can people who are listening? find you how can they work with you where are you available Uh, perfect i work digitally
1: and i have i decided back in the early 2000s i was going to use the internet the uh you can go to my website w-o-m-a-n-w-i-z-e i I spell it wrong on purpose w-o-m-a-n-w-i-z-e.com and once you spell that and hopefully, you put me in a search engine and hopefully I pop up and populate that thing. So I am on Parlor, MeWe, Facebook, Instagram, Rumble, YouTube, LinkedIn. <laughs> I think that's an ADD thing. How many social media platforms can I be on? I know, right? Um, oh, thank goodness for social media dashboards. But you can find me there. I work through. Um, I have a, a lot of different ways that I work with clients. Primarily, when people come to me, um, I have a wellness center which is free for people. It has thousands of dollars worth of archived uh, webinars. I actually did one on brain health: better kids, better better brains, better kids. Brain behavior, uh, brain function, and behavior is huge. Um, And in there's also interviews with naturopaths, physicians, research scientists, which are normal people can listen to and understand, okay, we're not too techie, but they're they're vetted. So we don't have a lot of myths and craziness in there. And that's free for my clients. I have a weekly email newsletter that goes out. I have uh, Facebook community groups. um, And we can work individually, one-on-one. And I can also work and give class uh, workshops. Amazing. All right. Yeah. So, it's, and then my email is Karen at Woman womanwise, W O M A N W I Z E dot com.
0: Awesome. Well, you are clearly expert level in so many interesting health subjects, and I love that. And um, I was talking
1: to um, one, one of my friends once said to me, Karen, you have the gift of topic immersion.
0: Oh, I like that euphemism. Okay. Well, you know, right? <laughs> and, and it's, but you know what? That
1: is our strength and oh, yeah, we all absolutely. become you know and i think uh, to just encourage all of us that are adhd instead of looking at and if you're new to the diagnosis or depending on the environment of people around you you may believe that there's things wrong with you it's just different and the skill, the skills that we've developed in managing ourselves it's really a high level of discipline when you really think about it the structures that we've adopted for ourselves And the ways, the the creativity, I've never met an ADHD person that's not interesting, because we can talk about anything at any moment. And we have done so much, and we offer so much, and we are so creative that we just need to embrace the skills and the way we were made, and really enjoy our lives that way.
0: Absolutely. What a great point. Give yourself some credit. Think of all the ways in which you've kind of intuitively worked around Mm um you know worked within the society to uh, help yourself like yeah absolutely okay well thank you so much karen it was wonderful talking to you
1: (laughs) thank you so much katie for the opportunity and uh, i love networking and connecting with you and um uh, blessings on your business as you work with people to help them achieve you know a healthy weight and to break those awful diet cycles
0: All right. Well, thank you again so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and learning all about what you do. And I look forward to seeing you around on on Facebook and the groups and online and good luck with your business. Thank you so much, Katie. And thanks again for the opportunity. It has been a pleasure. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple podcasts or audible. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.